This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. The unofficial narrative coming out of Rome is that Francis's days on the throne of Peter are numbered, either because in the next year or so he will go to his particular judgment, a observation or a prediction that I think being made by the Catholic media is kind of ghoulish, to be honest with you. Or, in the latter scenario, he'll step down, like they say his predecessor did. And while I find the latter option utterly laughable, I mean, can you imagine Francis giving up his position voluntarily? <laughs> Nonetheless, the chatter, chatter out of Rome is that his pontificate is functionally done. We'll see about that. But the various influential voices on the Francis side of the great divide in the church are pushing the story, and they're pushing it hard right now, as you might have noticed. And they've been doing so for some months. And now we have two stories worth going over that are directly connected. One of the most influential friends of Francis in North America is publicly pleading with him to change the rules of the conclave to, for reasons that he says are to avoid further division. Although I suspect that below the surface, there is some reasoning there for him to want to make sure that Francis guarantees that a successor of his will be cut from the same cloth as Francis, a virtual Francis II, if you will. As, a, as opposed to Benedict XVII, which they don't want, or the nightmare scenario for the modernists and for every pretty much most prelates in the church, and that would be a Pius XIII. That's almost certainly not going to happen. But a on the in the other story is that we're going to cover today. It's directly connected to this. You have a Francis-friendly outlet describing who the main successor candidates for Francis are and what the stakes are for them, and you're going to notice a pattern. Their list is dominated by modernists, most of them cut from the same cloth as Francis, maybe appearing a little bit more moderate. So let's go into the story because at some point their prediction will come true, that Francis will be finished on the throne of Peter. First, let's start with the proposed changes to the conclave. Now, if you're not aware, the papal conclave is the closed-door process where the cardinals of the church swear an oath of secrecy and choose the next pope from among themselves, typically. They can choose anybody, but it's almost always a cardinal. And typically, it only takes a few days to a couple of weeks to accomplish, but history has several examples of this process taking months or even years to complete. It's that latter scenario that Father Thomas Reese is worried about, or so he says. I do think something else is going on in his article, though. Headline, Avoiding a Deadlocked Conclave. Now, the article was published in the Religion News Service, and I'll have a link to it today in, in our show notes at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this podcast with a .org at the end. Its point is to make the case, though, that for Francis to change the rules of the next conclave. Now, for those who think there's no precedent for that, you'd be wrong. Pretty much every modern pope going back to Pius XII at least has tinkered with conclave rules. And Francis will be no exception, I'm sure. Father Reese tells us his reasoning here, quote, before he dies or retires, Pope Francis needs to make changes in the process of choosing a new pope to avoid the possibility of a deadlocked conclave. Popes John Paul II and Benedict made innovations in the process to deal with such an eventuality, but they only made matters worse by not anticipating the negative consequences of their changes. The source of the problem goes back to the traditional conclave rule that it takes a two-thirds of the cardinals to choose a new pope. On the positive side, the two-thirds rules forces a conclave to choose as pope someone who has wide support, not someone who only has a slim majority of the cardinals behind him. 
Unity is an essential attribute of the church, and a consensus candidate is less likely to divide the church. This is especially important for someone who will hold the office for life. But in a few conclaves, the two-thirds rule has led to a deadlock. Because of deadlocks in the 13th century, the papacy was vacant for a year and a half before the elevation of Innocent IV, and for three and a half years before the installation of Gregory X, end quote. Father Reese goes on and describes the reforms of John Paul II and Benedict XVI, which he said made things worse, not better. And it's all real inside baseball stuff that honestly isn't that important here. But he wants Francis to go back to a simple two-thirds rule, which would bring deadlock back, maybe even result in a moderate pope compared to pretty much anyone we've had since the time of Pius XII. So what's the main thrust here? Well, he has this gem. I actually like this. Quote, the simplest solution is for Francis to return to the conclave to its traditional rule requiring a two-thirds of the cardinals to choose a pope. In order to break a possible deadlock, the pope could also bring back the old rule of putting the cardinals on bread and water if they go on too long, end quote. I actually like that idea, but that would have to be enforced by the Camerlengo, and the Camerlengo is definitely one of Francis's creatures, and I can't imagine that happening. But his idea goes off the rails because, like all modernists, he looks to the secular world for its guidance, and he chooses the ranked choice method of choosing the winner. You basically get all your people who are up for the, the post on a list and you, as someone who's participating, put a number by each name and the person who comes out on top is the winner. And if there's no majority for the first person, you go down the list until someone's got a majority. Yeah, <laughs> I describe it here beyond that, but it's not worth the time. The result is always that you get someone no one really likes, but no one really objects to too strongly. It's a novel idea in politics that has led in the secular world to some middling European administrators who become heads of government with no real backing. Maybe it makes for more boring politics, but it doesn't lead to statesmen getting office, and it certainly is grossly inappropriate for the papacy. There's a myth that persists in our time, though. The Holy Ghost chooses the Pope. I hate to be the one to tell you that, but that's not how it works. This idea, you can find it nowhere in the literature from before the Council. It's an idea that came up sometime after the Council, and I'd love to know if anybody knows where the first place after the council it showed up, because it's nowhere. I can't find anything before the council. The cardinals can prayerfully open themselves to the Holy Ghost for guidance, but insiders at these conclaves who know the process laugh at the idea that any pope in the last century was chosen prayerfully. The process is political to the core, which is why the next article is instructive. It treats the possible future popes for what they are, candidates for an office. That's the stage we're at now, folks. The set Speculation about who the next pope will be is based on real-world information and real-world concerns. It's not that different than where we are when people who really are into secular politics opine about who each party will choose for whatever office they're paying attention to. The article goes into the state of the next conclave, who is in the running, how many cardinals, who as of now will participate, and what percentage Francis is responsible for. And after this, you will may understand why I expect the announcement of more cardinals to be elevated this year by Francis. From LaCroix, which I touched on briefly yesterday, the same article that I mentioned yesterday in brief, we get this lengthy quote. Quote, what the numbers tell us and what they don't, there are currently 117 cardinals under the age of 80 who are eligible to participate in a conclave. That does not include Angelo Becciu, 73, who, whom Francis stripped of his participation rights. As of June 6th, the number of those participating drops to 116. Francis gave the red hat to 67 of these men. 
Benedict chose 38, and John Paul II the remaining 12, including the one, Cardinal Norberto Rivera Carrera of Mexico, who ages out next month. The fact that the current pope has created nearly 58% of those who will choose his successor is only relatively important, partly due to the fact that these cardinals are not easy to categorize. And there's no telling how they would choose anyway, if they were to suddenly be locked inside the Sistine Chapel. The 117 participants have not held a single meeting as an entire group. Francis is in the 10th year of his pontificate and has held seven consistories to induct new members into the College of Cardinals. But for the exception of that very first consistory in February 2014, he has never gathered the entire college together for a corporate meeting. The retirees as influencers. It is important to note that there are also 92 non-participants. These men can play an extremely influential role in the several days of the meetings that they and those who are participating will hold immediately before the conclave begins. And the number of non-participant cardinals created by John Paul II, 41 of them, and Benedict, 26, outflanked those Francis named, 25, by nearly three to one. And there are some big and persuasive personalities in their ranks. If all 209 members of the College of Cardinals, both participants and non, attend the pre-conclave sessions, only 92 of them will have gotten their red hat from Pope Francis. The other 117 will have been named Cardinals by John Paul and Benedict. Because the college has not met as an entire corporate body since 2014, it's also hard to detect a clear group dynamic or ethos that unites them other than the color red that they all wear. When the participants are finally called to fulfill their duty that currently distinguishes them from every other baptized Catholic, i.e. choose the next Bishop of Rome, what type of man will they look for? The Francis agenda and candidates. There are a good number of cardinals who enthusiastically support the ambitious and at times disruptive program of church reform that Francis has been trying to implement during his pontificate. The Argentine Pope enjoys the unflinching loyalty of some key players in red who, who wholeheartedly embrace the blueprint for the revitalized missionary church that mapped out in Evangelii Gaudium, his most important document. And there are heavyweights in the College of Cardinals who are driving the agenda he set in the encyclicals Laudato Si and Fratelli Tutti. But can any of these men garner enough support to be chosen as the next Roman pontiff? It boils down to whether the participants want to forward the Francis agenda. The ongoing reform of the Synod of Bishops and the attempt to make synodality a constitutive part of ecclesial life and governance at all levels is central to this. And it means that Cardinal Mario Grish, the Synod's energetic secretary general, would be among the top candidates in this category. But his 65 years of age and excellent health may scare off those who don't want to return to a lengthy pontificate, similar to how John Paul II's. Others in this group who might have a chance of drawing enough uh, support include Cardinal Matteo Zuppi, 66, of Bologna. Again, a youngish candidate with good links to Africa, especially, and other places where the Rome-based Sant'Egidio community in which he grew up is very active. Cardinal Pietro Perlin, the Vatican's 67-year-old Secretary of State, has been mentioned throughout the pontificate as someone who could continue the main thrust of Francis's reforms, especially in openness to dialogue with the world, while restoring some of the institutional discipline and order the current Pope has set aside. The Northern Italian is a long-life papal diplomat, and although he has a very pastoral manner, he's never been the pastor of a parish or a diocesan bishop. This could be seen as a major deficit in his skill set. The other so-called Francis bishops among the cardinals are probably not capable of being made pope for a variety of reasons. End very lengthy quote. And normally I don't have quotes that long, I really don't, but that was all neat. That is important to what we're talking about here. But the names that they had there as the front runners are modernists, nearly one and all. 
that's not that is what LaCroix is known for, to be honest. They never really brought up the Burks, who I don't really see as being all that Papa Bile in the eyes of his peers. And they certainly don't bring up, you know, Vigano, who has a zero chance because he's not even a cardinal. But over this casts a long shadow of Benedict XVI, who still lives and his mere presence, casts a shadow of doubt over the legitimacy of everything. Look, I'm not one of those people who views Benedict XVI as one of the greats of the church. For those that do, once you learn of his role during and after the council in promoting modernism, typically that view goes away. Still, he clearly had some kind of moment when he tried to fix the errors emerging after the council. And on numerous occasions, he offered a glimpse into the future that shows the consequences of this age of godlessness and what it would do to the church. He nails it. And especially in this version of his prediction that I'm about to give to you, which few have ever really heard. And for the next pope, the next conclave has to address this. It has to. Whatever their vision for the church is, that has to be addressed. Let me know if this sounds like the world Francis and his coterie are helping to bring about. From then, Father Ratzinger, quote, Let us therefore be cautious in our prognostications. What St. Augustine said is still true. Man is an abyss. What will rise out of these depths, no one can see in advance. And whoever believes that the church is not only determined by the abyss that is man, but reaches down into the greater infinite abyss that is God, will be the first to hesitate with his predictions. For this naive desire to know for sure could only be the announcement of his own historical ineptitude. We will soon have reduced priests to the role of social workers and the message of the faith reduced to political views. Everything will seem lost, but at the right moment, right in the most dramatic stage of the crisis, the church will be reborn. She'll be smaller, poorer, almost catacombal, but even more holy. For it will no longer be the church of those who seek to please the world, but the church of the faithful to God and his eternal law. Rebirth will be the work of a small remnant, seemingly insignificant, yet indomitable, passed through a purification process, because that's how God works, against evil. A small flock resists. End quote. That is the real agenda of the next pope, God willing. And that is the other shadow that looms large over the coming conclave, Benedict's increasing popular predictions about the state of the church, where he forewarned of a church that was little more than an NGO, and the mysticism and supernatural core of the faith has been reduced to a metaphor in the minds of most people, including prelates. Whoever the next pope is must dismantle that vision of the church and return to a state where God is loved and feared, where his mercy and justice go hand in hand, and a, virtue, and a church that stands up to the errors of the modern world regardless of the cost. It is only in that path that any talk of restoration of tradition and expelling men unfit for the priesthood can even really begin. So what did you think of these stories today? Is Father Reese right in saying that a conclave is coming sooner than most think, and that Francis must act to prevent deadlock? Is there some other game he's playing here? What about the possible contenders? Are there any others that you think are actual contenders aside from those listed? Because they clearly only listed those who are in somewhere or another in keeping with Francis's dynamic. Do you think I'm wrong that Bennett, that Burke is a not Papa Bile? Let me know what you think in the comments, please. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.